P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning and welcome to P.I.'s Declassified. I hope all of you out there in P.I.'s Declassified land is staying our savings health Healthy, safe, and hopefully getting your vaccinations very soon. Uh, so today, uh, this is a topic we haven't talked about maybe ever on this show. I don't remember, but I don't think so. I want to introduce you to Chris Browning. Hello, Chris. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Chris Hales from Tennessee. We were just talking about um, my guest from last week was from Tennessee. So I, I guess I'm I'm running the, the southern states right now, and <laughs> Chris is from Tennessee. But originally from Alabama, though. Yeah. That, correct. Yeah. Okay, so Chris, tell, tell us a little bit about you. Um, are, you a, a, are you a private investigator? Are you um, still I'm law not. enforcement? Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm neither. It's, it's a really uh, interesting story how I ended up uh, here. Um, okay. So I am former law enforcement. Um, I, I retired after 20 years. Um, I actually started out as a, as a dispatcher part-time in my hometown when I was 16 years old. Wow. And I uh, actually worked my way up to be the police chief there um, in that city. Wow. And um, then I had... And during that time, I had really done just about everything in law enforcement that you could do, um, with the exception of you know, uh, being an explosives expert, because you know I never liked the idea of anything that, that may explode, so I always stayed away from that. But, <laughs> that makes uh, sense. It, it, yeah, but a uh, uh, K-9 officer, uh, working narcotics, um, and that's kind of where um, my story starts, is working narcotics, because I was I was kind of young in a in a in a time when all the police officers that I worked with were, were older than I was, and I just mm. kind of took to technology. I, I guess I came up, you know, during that, during the time of, of VCRs. So um, I, I kind of had a leg up on on a lot of the, I hate to call them old timers, but the, the older officers. <laughs> but anyway, uh, long story short, I, I got a lot of experience um, with surveillance equipment. So you're wiring up informants for drug Buys, uh, wiring up uh, hidden cameras in automobiles for street level drug purchases, and then mm. you know um, narcotics and vice kind of go hand in hand. So they're wiring up hotel rooms for prostitution stings and that kind of thing. So uh, I just had a lot of experience on the offensive side of things, and then mm-hmm. um, I actually left being the police chief and became the chief investigator for the Alabama Attorney General's office. And uh, in that role, I supervised uh, all public corruption investigations uh, in the state against, you know, politicians and, and elected officials. And I realized that it was just like working narcotics, except it was you were dealing with politicians now. You were still wiring up informants for 
uh, not for drug purchases, but to try and, you know, obtain intelligence. And uh, you're still wired up hotel rooms for prostitution stings and, and that kind of yeah. thing. So I had, wow. I guess, long story short, I had, I had a lot of experience or knowledge, you know, when it came to hidden cameras and, and recording and listening devices. So um, when I retired from law enforcement, I, uh, I was still young enough to do something. I just didn't know what I was going to do. So I, like a lot of old cops, I started a private investigation company. And honestly, my bread and butter was uh, workers' compensation surveillance. I mean, I was, I was going all over the southeast following people around that claimed to be injured, you know, trying to get video of them doing something they, they weren't supposed to be doing. And a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of PIs, you know, do that and have experience doing that. <clears throat> but I, I was doing well uh, following people around. I had some really nice surveillance equipment, um, some really nice cameras, uh, remote cameras, you know, the, the, the advent of cellular networks and, and Wi-Fi networks really changed the surveillance game because you no longer had to be within range of, of a device Mm-hmm. You know, in order to be able to receive the intelligence, I could sit at home and you know dial in from anywhere in the world, really, and and watch these hidden cameras that I would hide. But it was during that time that I had a, a very well known attorney uh, contact me and ask me, "Chris, do you do bug sweeping?" <laughs> and at first, I, I thought it was a joke, and I asked him, "I said, well, do, you, do you mean exterminating for for enough money? You know, I'll paint your house. What, what are we talking about?" And um, he said, no, do, do you go out and find hidden, you know, cameras and, and find hidden recording devices? And I, and I told him, well, I, I know what those things are, obviously, but um, is bug sweeping a thing? And he said, oh, yeah, absolutely, it's a thing. He said, as a matter of fact, the world's leader in this technology and training is a company called uh, Research Electronics International. We go by REI now. Okay. And he said they're in Cookville, Tennessee. Um, he said, and I'll, I'll pay for you to go up there and attend their basic level one class. Wow. And if wow. you, if you like it, get, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot, it was a game changer for me. And he said, you know, if you like it, get into it. I've got work waiting. And if you don't like it, no harm done because it didn't cost you anything uh, at first. So hmm. how could I lose? Uh, I no actually kidding. had to go to a map and find Cookville, Tennessee. I've never, <laughs> never heard of the place. And, um, right. <laughs> like we used to say in Alabama, you, you couldn't find it with a search warrant uh, almost. <laughs> but um, uh, I came up and, and attended a five-day class, and, and honestly, I fell in love with it. It was the neatest stuff that I had ever, that, that I, I can't say that I've ever seen, but the, it, it was the neatest stuff I'd seen in a really, really long time. And so I, I went all in. I, I got every bit of training that I could get. I bought every piece of equipment that I could purchase. And I changed my my business model over to uh, what is called technical surveillance countermeasures. And I started doing bug sweeping uh, around the southeastern U.S. And um, I guess one of two things happened. Either either I left a good impression at REI when I was a student, or they're an equal opportunity employer and needed someone mentally challenged like myself. But uh, <laughs> either way, they, the owners of the company offered me a job um, in 2013 to come be an instructor. So it was a good offer, and I picked up my marbles and moved from South Alabama to to, to Middle Tennessee, and, and now I've been here eight years uh, as uh, teaching people how, how to do technical surveillance countermeasures. That is an amazing journey. Oh, my gosh. So you, you've been 
practically been in law enforcement your whole life. How old were you when you started? Uh, 16 years old. 16. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, and, and you, you couldn't pay into retirement until you were 18. So for, mm-hmm. for two years, I was kind of off the books. And you could do that in a small town back then. But when, when I did turn 18, then it, then it all became official. And I started paying into, into the retirement system. And that's how I was able, you know, to, to really still get out at a young enough age and, and earn some real money for a change. Well, you obviously were a star. To start at 16 and rise to the position of police chief, even in a small department, is an amazing feat. I mean, can, I, mean I have to applaud you for that. Well, that's amazing. Thank you, and you know it's it, and it's a beautiful, beautiful city. I mean, I I got to be the police chief in paradise. Um, the the city is called Fairhope, Alabama, and I encourage you and your listeners if you're looking for a getaway, it is a hidden gem. Well, it's not so hidden mm. anymore. I mean, it's it's really growing leaps and bounds, but it's it's a hidden gem along the the along Mobile Bay, right there near the Gulf of Mexico. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, that sounds fabulous. Fa- called Fair Oak. Uh, Fair Hope. Fair Hope. Uh, yeah, when, okay. when, yeah, when the founders settled there, they said we have a fair hope of success here. So Interesting. that's where it got its name. Interesting. So I got to go back here. You said you started a private investigation agency. Is, was that before uh, Tennessee was, had a licensing law or were you licensed at that time? Oh, uh, that was actually before Alabama had a licensing law. Um, or Alabama, right? And yeah, yeah, um, and it, and even today in 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 the in the PI business for doing bug sweeping, um, the the states that have no licensing or or you know regulations or any continuing education requirements that that causes problems at times, and it caused me some problems when you know I had a I had a real investment in equipment. I mean, I'm talking over over $100,000 in equipment, and, yeah. you know, I would bid on a job to do a sweep, and someone would come along, and, you know, all they really had was a laptop and some kind of spy shop equipment they had purchased off of eBay, and, mm-hmm. you know, they would would really undercut the price, and, you know, the public didn't really know what they were getting. It was all, right. you know, sometimes smoke and mirrors, but um, I will say that I've noticed over the past uh, gosh, <clears throat> five, six years that the public has become more educated on what, what it takes to actually do an adequate sweep and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the training and, and expense that goes into uh, having that training and equipment. So <clears throat> it's, not, it's not like it used to be, but, you know, the, for what I do now, the only um, state that I'm aware of that has any licensing requirements for bug sweeping is uh, North Carolina. Hmm. And so... Um, but yeah, back when I just started my PI company, there was no licensing for that in Alabama. I was actually surprised. It, it cost my first year. It cost me fifty dollars to buy a business license, and that was it. I was I was a private investigator. Unbelievable. Um, and so, so yeah, what do you? It is. What do you? What do you think about that? Do you think um, the licensing format is important, or do you think it's? You you don't need it. No, I, what I do, do you think? I, I actually do believe it's important, and and really for mostly for the reasons that we were just talking about that you know, it, it stops the fly by night people because you know for me you know I had I had good law enforcement experience I had good contacts you know mm-hmm. where any city 
you know, especially since I had been, you know, at the state level, uh, being the chief investigator for the AG's office, I had contacts all over the state. So if I, if I was needing a little information or, you know, if I needed a little help finding someone, I had contacts. But then you mm-hmm. had some guy, you know, in contrast to that, you may have some guy who, you know, I, I don't know, did, did, uh, had a lawn service. And not that there's nothing wrong with lawn <laughs> services. Actually, that's a very profitable business. But that's the first thing that came to mind. But, you know, and then decided, you know what, I'm going to be a private investigator. And then, you know, it just, it, it, it stops you from having a good professional level of service across the board, in my opinion. Well, yeah, it stops that. It also um, gives people who have maybe had a bad experience a place to go to make a report, and it uh, upgrades the standards. People know what they're getting. Yeah, correct. Instead of, but but you're right. I, I let's talk about. Um, what somebody should look for if they want to hire somebody that to find uh, maybe a hidden bug in their house or their office? Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And, you know, first, I, I, I'd preface that by saying that, you know, more and more people, I guess the best way to explain it is there's a really well-known case that happened back in, among thousands of cases. But in 1999, a, a listening device was found in a, in a secure room inside the United States State Department. And, you know, it was a really big deal because someone had to covertly enter that room, install this, you know, professionally install this device without getting caught. And there was a big investigation that came about as a result of that. But the technology of that device from 1999, you can now purchase on Amazon and get delivered to your door with two-day free shipping. Mm-hmm. And so now you, you no longer have to be trained by or a member of a three-letter agency. Anybody can be a spy. It, you know, anyone can perform eavesdropping or uh, void, you know, especially video voyeurism. Gosh, it's all in the news now. But so more and more people are realizing the need that, you know, I need to make sure my home or my office is free and clear from any kind of, of covert surveillance device. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's why more and more private investigators have gotten into this into this field. However, to do it correctly, it, it is an expensive venture. I mean, there, there's an investment that has to be made, um, both in training and equipment, in order to do the job um, um, properly. So, to answer your question, what should people do? Uh, what should they look for whenever they're going to hire someone to perform technical surveillance countermeasures, you know, first and foremost would be find out what kind of equipment they plan on using uh, in order to perform that sweep. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've had people tell me that they've asked that question and the private investigator has said, well, um, my equipment is proprietary and I don't share that with anyone and, and I don't want you there when I perform my sweep because I don't want anybody seeing what kind of equipment I use. And, you know, I just call BS on that. <laughs> to, be, right, to be quite frank, right. um, yeah. You, you know, if you're a, le- a legitimate practitioner and you've got a hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand dollars in equipment, which believe me can happen very quickly, I'm, um, I'm you're actually proud of surprised. That. I'm actually surprised, Chris. That isn't a lot more than that because I've seen this equipment. It's it's amazing equipment. I'm surprised it's not a lot more than that. Well, and it certainly can. And I'm just saying, you know, to to have a a complete what I would consider a complete kit. Uh, in order to perform a sweep, you know, for one team, 
Uh, yeah, easily, uh, $100,000, $150,000. And, but, you know, it can go up from there. You know, we, we, I know of, or we have customers and clients who, you know, um, operate multiple teams. And so then you're just multiplying that, you know, that, that amount times the number of people that, that you have employed for you and, and how big your operation is. You know, I, I was a small operation. It was just me. And, um, occasionally I would hire someone to, to help me. Uh, but they were more to hold a flashlight or hold the ladder for me, you know, mm-hmm. but if for the, I was a one, I was a one man show. So, so, um, so first of all, is the equipment, what other questions should someone ask a person they're going to, they're looking at hiring for this particular, um, what, what well, we, um, what we call in the field TSCM. <laughs> yeah, correct. Um, you know, yeah. secondly, what kind of training? Does someone have because okay. you, know, you could you could go through the expense and get your hands on some equipment. Or you could even get some of our older equipment because um, you know that happens. We we come up with a new product, so people buy the new stuff and then they they get rid of all their their old gear. So you've got PIs who are able to pick up older. It doesn't mean it's bad; it still works. But you know, it's just older older technology equipment. And um, but you need to be trained. On that equipment, because one thing that is anybody who has come through training will absolutely tell you is that it is a perishable skill. Uh, if you don't practice uh, technical surveillance countermeasures often, you'll forget them, and because each situation is different, and you may find yourself in a in a telephony closet with a you know with a Fortune 500 company that's using uh, voice over internet protocol telephones, and they say we want you to make sure that. You know, no one is, is sniffing and intercepting our packets and listening to our audio. And if, if you don't do that regularly or you haven't been professionally trained on how to do that, you're, number one, you're stealing money from them that they're paying you. And, and number two, you're doing a terrible job or potentially doing a terrible service and a terrible job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, you're, they're putting their hands into a situation where it could put them at risk. You know, if that, if that, With, if that bug is there and it's not found, if it's not identified, then um, whatever they're trying to protect is at risk. Oh, absolutely. You know, and um, it, there's, there's lots of different types of security out there, and all of them are important. So, you know, you've got physical security. We have to have locks. We have to have CCTV cameras in our, in our businesses. Um, we have to have security guards. You know, that, that's important. And then, you know, you've got uh, network security. We, we need firewalls. We need pass, you know, robust passwords and, and you know, all of, all of the things associated with that. But where companies and even individuals uh, now in the Internet of Things, where, where individuals and, and all of the above don't do a good job, is protecting the spoken word. And that's, to me, that's my definition of technical surveillance countermeasures because, you know, if I, if I were a hacker, let's say, and I um, were able to send a malicious link to someone in their email hoping that they're going to click on it and give me backdoor access to a, to a company's computer network, I mean, that, that happens and that's a real thing. Um, but if I'm the adversary and I get access through that backdoor, now I'm having to sift through hundreds of thousands of files and you're looking for something that may be important to me as an, as an adversary or, or a, a economic espionage spy. But what I would rather do is hear the CEO and the board talking about that information 
mm-hmm. when they have their quarterly earnings meet, you know, meeting. That that's the information that I want, and uh, that keeps me from having to go through, you know, hundreds of thousands of files doing it any you know the the other way. But right, um, right. So it's yeah, I kind of got off topic there, but no, no, that's uh, I no, think that's you saw okay. where I was going with it. Exactly. So, so when somebody call, well, you're you're working for REI now. So, are are you interfacing with customers at this Absolutely. point in time? Every day. Yeah. We, okay. We we teach about over fifty week long classes a year right here in Tennessee, and I'll, I'll mm-hmm. tell you more about our facility because it's it's really a gem. But um, so yeah, I'm interacting with uh, government, um, law enforcement, uh, corporate security, and private investigators every week. Okay, so um, are they calling you for services, or are they calling you for direction? Um, well, they're, they're, my interaction with them is as an instructor. So that they come to okay. our facility. We, we have the, the largest unclassified training facility in the world uh, in, here in Cookville, Tennessee. And um, we've got fake hotel rooms and fake offices and um, – we we bug those offices, and then we train people how to go in and and find those bugging devices. So they're they're coming to me for for training, and then you know friendships evolve from that, and, and of course, uh, lots of conversations are are had. You know, war, sharing war stories, and and even after the training, yes, I get calls a lot from people who say, "Hey, I'm out on a job. Um, I need your help." I need some advice on, <laughs> on where to go next. And, and I certainly don't mind that because yeah. I had to do that. <laughs> I right. had to call, okay. call people for help. So, Okay. So when you were doing it for the private sector and somebody would call you with a situation, what kinds of questions would you ask them? Okay, great. I mean, that, that's a great question for you to ask me. Um, it, uh, you know, first and foremost, you'd be surprised. My, my first question was always after they, they told me what they wanted – my first question always was, let me ask you something. Where are you calling me from? And uh-huh. you'd be surprised at how many times they would say, well, I'm calling you from my office. Right. Well, let me help <laughs> right. you out. You know, I, it, you, I can probably save you some money. There, there's no need for me to show up now um, because if someone, you know, had actually had them under surveillance or their phone tapped. So I would always on my website and in, in um, information and mail outs, I would always, you know, put in bold lettering, do not call me from, from an area that may be compromised. Um, but that's just a fact of life. So, I was just going to say, I think we've all had an experience. Somebody calls from their cell phone and says, I think my cell phone is being tapped. And you're saying, okay, yeah. well, what number on you are right now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then after that, it was all the, the typical uh, investigative questions, you know, the who, what, when, why, and where's, um, mm-hmm. you know, what makes you think you may be under surveillance, um, you know, what, what have you noticed, you know, has, has, have things changed in your business, have you lost information already, has a competitor beat you to the market with a product that looks just like yours? Um, you know, the who, what, when, where's, and why's. And then mm-hmm. I would get into the information, the technical information I needed so that I was prepared, you know, to perform the, the sweep itself. You know, how many, how many offices, how many square feet are we talking? Uh, what kind of telephone system are you using? Is it analog? Is it digital? Is it voice over IP? Um, you know, do you have networked printers? Do you use Bluetooth-connected devices? Um and, you know, just all the technical information that, that would prepare me 
when I got there to, to be able to perform a better sweep. Interesting. I, I want to come back to that uh, for sure. Okay. But So um, do you charge by the square foot? And they're giving you a square footage, well, are you saying? Here's, you know, in all honesty, here, here's a spot that, that I'm almost embarrassed to, to talk about. One thing that I have learned since, yeah, I didn't have a, a business model when I started doing bug sweeping. I didn't have a... I didn't have someone who was already doing that, who was show, you know, who showed me how to do it. Uh, I learned everything on my own. And um, what I have found out since being an instructor now for eight years and training other people who come through and, and we talk is that I was not charging enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, people were getting my services uh, at a greatly lower rate than what PIs are charging currently. Uh, around right. the United States, and and um, but you know, no harm, no foul. I enjoyed doing it, and it's not like I didn't make money because I did. Um, but so to answer your question of how did I charge, I, my system again probably wasn't the best, but I did I did quote it based upon square footage, mm-hmm. and then um, it also mattered whether or not they wanted me to do telephones or not because. When, when you get into telephony systems, that, is, that can get very technical very quick. And although I love doing telephones, uh, I would probably rather do telephones um, than, than the RF side of the house, but uh, just because it's more definite. But, um, yeah, so if, if they wanted phones, then, then my hourly rate was more. And I would basically say, you know, look, I think for what you want done, I think it's going to take me 10 hours. Uh, at uh, $200 an hour, and if if I get to that 10-hour mark and I'm not done or I get led down a different path or rabbit hole, then you'll have an opportunity to stop it right then, or you can continue to pay me that, you know, 200 or 250 an hour um, back then, and, uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll keep going. But I was doing them, the sweeps privately from 2009 until 2013. So I, I haven't, I haven't done a private sweep or quoted anyone since early 2013, and a lot's changed since then. Okay. In, in the, okay. In the quoting and the, the rates business. Interesting. Okay, Chris, we're going to take a really quick commercial break. Can you hang okay. on with me, and we'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. 
For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today is Chris Browning from Tennessee, actually formerly Alabama. And he is a technical surveillance countermeasures uh, technician, uh, expert for research electronic and Electronic International. Chris, um, you you said you would find out from a client, a potential client, whether whether their issue was network, telephones, voiceover, internet protocol, or analog, and all those kind of questions. So, how right. does that change what your preparation and your process, uh, depending on the different kinds of problems they have? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of analog telephones or analog telephony still out there. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you see it in residences. Um, you see it on um, if people you know have fax lines. Those are still analog, um, mm-hmm. but they're they're still absolutely exploitable. So you know the the analog side of the house is is easy uh, for the most part. I mean, you 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 know basic testing equipment can be used, such as a a digital multimeter and just a good amplifier. Um, and a, and a, what they call a TDR. A lot of people in the business will know will know what you're talking about. It actually stands for time domain reflectometer. But uh, you you can do those kinds of sweeps. However, or for analog phones. But then when you get into digital telephones, they behave uh, differently, and they actually speak a language that human ears don't understand. So you need the the proper equipment to be able to demodulate those that those digital protocols to be able to check for passive audio being passed when it's, when it's not supposed to be. Um, so, you know, asking someone what kind of telephone system do you use? And you know, most of the time, honestly, people would tell me I have no idea that mm-hmm. you know, I pick up my phone and it's got dial tone. That's what I know. Um, but, you know, I could, I could tell them, all right, well, look at your phone for me and tell me what, what is the model of that phone and, um, you know, yeah, what's the model of that telephone? And you'd be surprised what Google can tell you. So, you know, they would say, well, I'm using a Siemens Highcom telephone. Well, I could go to the website for Siemens and look up that model telephone, and I could find out what its operating voltages were. Uh, I could find the actual digital codec uh, for that phone so that I could mm-hmm. demodulate that digital audio when I arrived on site. Um, and the great thing about telephones, and it really doesn't matter what kind of phone they have, 
um, with the with the proper training, it's all comparative analysis. So if you've got an office building that has 50 telephones and they're all the same, then all 50 telephones should behave the same. And you know, if I'm doing testing and I get to phone number phone number 49 and it all of a sudden is giving me different on hook and off hook voltages, uh, different resistance and current. Mm. Uh, readings, then, you know, why does that phone not look like all these other phones? And, you know, that's your first clue that you may have found a compromised uh, uh, handset or death set telephone. Um, so, you when, know, voice when you, now, which, of course, go ahead. When you, when you say demodulate audio, what does that mean? Um, so, um, analog audio is what our human ears understand. So I'm speaking analog. Uh, actually, this is a great example. I'm speaking analog is coming out of my mouth right now, but it's going into my cell phone. And when mm-hmm. it goes into through the microphone of my cell phone, it's being chopped up into a into a million zeros and ones. And those zeros okay. and ones are are put out over the cellular network. That's digital. And then it goes, you know, through who knows what, how, however many, you know, from the cell tower, it's going to copper wires, and now it's being routed through the traditional public switch telephone network all the way to you, and then it's, um, when it goes through your phone, those zeros and ones are converted back into analog so that you can understand or you can hear what I'm saying. And um, so in order to be able to tell are there zeros and ones being passed when they're not supposed to be, or is someone getting access hmm. to those zeros and ones when they're not supposed to, you need to be able to hear what is contained inside of those zeros and ones, and that's demodulation. I have never heard it explained that way before. That's that's a great explanation. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do every day. Yeah. You okay. Know, I, think so. I'm a better, I think I'm a better instructor than I was a, a practitioner. So. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I, you know, and I never thought about that I was speaking in analog. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of like Pig Latin, analog, Pig Latin, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Correct, yeah. (laughs) So, okay, so that's the phone. So you're, so you're actually um, analyze, let's see, is this uh, analyzing without some kind of a machine or a device and and it's come, it's spitting out different, um, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, um, velocity or well, uh, one, well, one thing's for sure. You can't, and that's that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. You can't do an adequate sweep without equipment that is capable of, um, for example, demodulating digital audio uh, on a on a telephony system, and that it, that equipment is expensive, and uh-huh. then you have to know how to use that equipment. And that, you know, that requires professional training, you know, in order to know how to, how to properly uh, utilize the equipment. So to, to answer your question, no, you can't do it without equipment. I mean, okay, you know, so back, back in the 1990s, maybe, maybe you could get by with, um, you know, basic equipment that you could go to, to Lowe's or Home Depot and purchase, you know, like a digital multimeter and that kind of thing. But, but not anymore, not, not with the advent of, advent of voice over IP and, and digital telephony. You know, and more and more people going cellular, like like we talked yeah. before the show started. Um, I don't have a home telephone line anymore. It's all cellular. So, and and that's a whole nother beast. Okay, so we're so we're talking about a a phone that sits on somebody's desk in a business, essentially. Um, yeah, well, I guess we were actually talking about both because I gave the okay. example of I'm talking into a cell phone right now, but it, it 
in in practice, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but yeah, these, these cell phones they're really secure, um, and it and it's wireless and and almost impossible for anyone except the government to intercept that call, you know, and be a man in the middle and and actually hear what we're what we're saying. But what people don't realize is that's only occurring from my phone to the closest cell tower. Once it hits that cell tower, it's going to ground. It, it, it's going back on copper, and that, that is a big vulnerability um, uh, point, you know, um, in the overall scheme of things. But okay, uh, for the how- most part, what I was talking about was, was wired phones, so, you know, right, that's, traditional yeah, telephony. Yeah, that yeah. was part of my question. So, so are, you're plugging in a device to this desk set, say, wired phone, do you have a meter right. that identifies that this is uh, could be different than the other phones you were looking at? In its most basic form, yes. Um, you, can, you can measure voltage, resistance, capacitance, current. Um, then you can uh, perform passive audio testing. So, you know, the, the main security feature of, of a telephone is called the hook switch. So when you, and, and most people remember that as a mechanical little plunger, you know, um, mm-hmm. that we probably played with as a child. But when you hang up the phone, that plunger is depressed and it ends the telephone call. Well, inside mm-hmm. of the phone, what actually happens, and, and this can be mechanical or electronic, you actually get an open connection that happens. So it, it's a physical dead end. Uh, audio that goes into that microphone can't go anywhere. It can't leave the phone. But when you take that phone off hook and the plunger rises, now you have a, a complete circuit, and now audio, current, and voltage can flow uh, in and out of that telephone, and it's surprisingly easy to bypass that hook switch. So even hmm. though you've hung up the telephone and, and you have ended the telephone call, um, enough voltage is being allowed through that it keeps the microphone active. So that, that phone can pass audio all of the time, even though it's just sitting there. And okay. so we would perform um, audio testing to make sure that that's, that that's not occurring. And that's just one of, of many tests when you start dealing with wiring and, and telephones. Okay. So then on a cell phone, it, how is that different? Well, cell phones are completely different in the sense that now we're, we're, we're not bound by those copper wires. And um, it, it is a very secure environment when it comes to pr- protecting that, that audio. You know, when cell phones first came out, um, or you know, more and more people started getting cell phones, those cell phones were all analog phones. So anyone could go buy a police scanner and listen to people's telephone calls. You know, all you had to do was find out what frequencies the, the cell company was using. But you know, I remember the, that. The I remember the, that being talked yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah, it was quality entertainment back in the in the early nineties <laughs> to hear people talk on their phones. But but of course they they tighten that up a lot, and so now it, you know truly if if someone is listening, you know of course lots of people are listening to us right now. But if this was a private conversation you and I were having, and someone were was able to listen to that through our cell phones, mm-hmm. then they are they are either at a nation state level. Uh, with very robust and sophisticated surveillance equipment, or someone has gotten physical access to your phone and and um, installed some spyware on it, and mm-hmm. you know, so people ask me a lot, you know, what do I do if I think my cell phone is is bugged? Well, the, the best piece of advice I have is take a hammer and bust it into a, into <laughs> a thousand pieces, 
Uh, right. Go out and buy a brand new phone. And uh, number one, don't don't automatically download all the apps that you had on your old on your old phone. Start over and put a good password protection on that phone and never let it out of your sight. Then you're safe from everyone except, like I said, a, a nation state that has the ability to to intercept cellular communications. And and can they do it? Of course. Um, but you know that is really really strictly you know regulated. But um, you know, to that point, uh, what a lot of people don't realize, you know, back when I was in law enforcement, I thought it was just magic, and it was. Uh, all the wiretaps that we ever did <clears throat> did not involve um, putting on a ninja costume and having to climb a telephone pole <laughs> and, you know, perform really? some kind of tap. Really? Yeah, yeah, un- just destroyed my uh, whole uh, idea I, I, of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, we we were given access to those telephone calls through a computer, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's, I don't know the statistic exactly, but it's like well over eighty percent of all telephone calls placed in North America, whether they're cellular or or landline, at some point go through an AT and T switch. So AT and T has partnered with law enforcement for many years now, and with with a with a um, judge signed or, or, or you know, a, a search warrant uh, signed by a federal judge, they, they just route those telephone calls through. It's all done through computers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tell people if that's occurring and, and, and someone were listening to you and I during a private conversation, um, then we're, we're probably not doing the right things in life. We probably ought to change our lifestyle uh, <laughs> because we're being investigated. Um, mm-hmm. you know, for for wrongdoing, and, and they right. had to have probable cause to get that warrant to begin with. But other than that, a jealous spouse, uh, a business competitor, you know, a business partner, you know, if they're getting access to your to your calls via your cell phone, they they've implanted malware on, it, or they've implanted spyware on that phone, and, and they can be really difficult to know. So, people that have family plans, for example. Uh, for their for their phones, and maybe there's a divorce or something, uh, some kind of an issue going on, or the spouse thinks the other one is cheating. Through that family plan, can they do something? Um, potentially, uh, I, I I would say yes, because because anything's possible, and I, I've seen some examples of social engineering being used. You know, where where a lady um, was trying to get information about her husband and his phone usage and his text messages. And, you know, she started out with a, with a YouTube video playing in the background of a baby crying. And by the way, did you know you can go to YouTube and find eight hours of nothing but babies crying? No, uh, I don't I even know why that's there, but, <laughs> but, but it's there. And so she, <laughs> she plays this and she's on the phone with the cellular company saying, I, you know, I'm so sorry. Um, I, my baby's sick. I'm home having to stay home from work today. My husband asked me to get his, his phone straightened out and no, I don't remember the password. And, but she gets a sympathetic, uh, uh, another sympathetic mother on the other end of the line that's working for the cell company. And she basically says, Oh, you know, dear, I understand. I've had to stay home before with my sick baby. Let me help you out. And, you know, in a matter of minutes, she's got records that she shouldn't or, you know, shouldn't otherwise have. And that was just done through through social engineering. But as far as electronically connecting to that other phone on a family plan, that, can't, that doesn't happen. 
Um, it would be very, very difficult to do. You would almost need a friend that worked for the cellular company to, to help you out with that. You, you would have okay. to push malware to, to that phone. But, um, you know, an easier way is you, you can do it through text messaging. Um, you know, it's still getting someone to click on a link that, you know, looks ordinary, but it actually is, is a malicious link. And mm-hmm. just like it can be done through a computer, you know, our cell phones now are, are, that's what they are. They're little small computers that happen to pass audio really well. So that's interesting. So if you get a text message that you don't recognize, you shouldn't be clicking on it. No, not at all. Yeah. Okay. Not in, in this day and age, not at all. Okay. Um, there, and- there are ways, you know, it's, it's, we, could, we could really go down some rabbit holes here, but there are ways, you know, there's, there's something called bluejacking, and that is uh, using someone's Bluetooth uh, while it's in the discovery mode in order to upload malicious software. Um, and, it, and gosh, we could just keep talking about things like that. There, there are many ways to exploit electronic devices now um, because it's the, it's, it's the digital world we live in. You know, the bottom line is anytime we allow convenience into our life, we give up privacy. I mean, that, that is the bottom line. If, if your listeners don't take anything else away from, mm-hmm. from today, remember that. You know, the right. minute you start allowing convenience and convenience items and Alexa devices and you know, all of these things, the Internet of things, you're giving up privacy. And most people are okay with that. Most people say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't have anything to worry about. But, you know, you've got all these vulnerabilities now as part of your daily lives that can be exploited. And I just don't think a lot of people realize that. So since you brought up bluejacking, how do you protect yourself from that? All of us um, use, well, you know, AirPods, <laughs> etc. <laughs> Bluetooth is scary to me uh, for, for a number of reasons. Um, it, Bluetooth has the ability to uh, convey lots of information in a short period of time. It, they, they've done a great job and built a very robust yeah, it's open source, and a lot of people don't realize that. So you've got developers always working to make Bluetooth better, and people are always finding vulnerabilities to, to Bluetooth. And uh, so to protect yourself, you know, number one is keep your Bluetooth turned off. Um, if you use Bluetooth, make it to where your phones are not always in discoverable mode. So hmm. um, other nearby devices cannot see your, 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 the Bluetooth on your telephone. Um, and you know, the, the best thing I guess about Bluetooth is, is that it doesn't go very far at all. So in order for someone to use Bluetooth to access your phone, they're going to be really close to you. Oh, that's um, interesting. You know, in Cookville, Tennessee, pe- people don't get very close to me, but if I'm walking in <laughs> Times Square, you know, then you've got a lot of people, you know, in a close proximity with one another. And I just, I would keep it, I would keep it turned off. You know, I, I do, I trust the cellular networks. But I don't trust Wi-Fi and Bluetooth uh, when it comes to to my security. So, case in point, pre-COVID, when we used to sit in a in a restaurant, and you maybe six feet from another table, you could sit there and and uh, access that information on a Bluetooth. Um, they they could certainly try, you know, and, and it's not something that just anybody can do. But there's some really smart people out there. And you know what? What hurts is those really smart people have uh, blogs and Reddit uh, threads that they all follow and, and exchange and share information. Um, but it it can absolutely be done. I mean, you, you just think about the the person who who 
um, first created the first uh, credit card skimmer, you know, at a gas pump. Um, mm-hmm. Most of those skimmers, once they get your credit card information, they transmit it out over Bluetooth because, again, you can send lots of information in a short period of time. Um, so in a lot of cases, the people who are receiving those credit card numbers, um, you don't realize it, but they're parked close by. They're, they're within Bluetooth range of, of that skimming device. Hmm. Um, and again, Bluetooth is really, really a subject we could we could spend the whole afternoon talking about. It, well, maybe we, we um, should have another show with talking about Bluetooth. <laughs> so, yeah. Chris, you know, we only have probably about I don't know seven minutes left. Maybe um, one of the things we haven't talked about is uh, GPS. So, do you get involved with GPS units and? and I do. Talk about that. I, I certainly do. As a matter of fact, we I, I've, I've got a class that we do um, that you know is actually free for people to register and learn about GPS. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've um, installed a bunch of them, and I've searched and, uh, for a bunch of them and found a few of them. Again, okay. you know, back back in the early '90s, late '90s, heck, even the early 2000s, you had to be law enforcement to have a GPS tracking device. But now, mm-hmm. uh, all you need is an Amazon account. And so more and more people are using those devices. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a slide that I use in my presentation that says, I trust my teenage daughter 100% so long as she doesn't find the GPS tracking device that I have <laughs> installed on her automobile. I think uh, that's called it, trust but verify. So true. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, people, more people are using it for nefarious purposes and, they're, they're easy to use. The technology has improved on them, and they can be really difficult to, to find. And, you know, for someone to, to hire, if they think they have, might have a tracking device on their car, there's lots of, of private investigators out there who, who offer services to find those GPS devices. But, again, it comes down to I would find out what kind of equipment they are using and what kind of training they have had, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in order to do that. Um, because again, you run into those situations where someone who's a professional says, "Well, I, you know, I'll search your car for I don't know five hundred dollars," and I'm completely guessing on prices here. But right, and then they'll have somebody else come along who says, "Oh, five hundred dollars is way too much. I can do it for seventy-five. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? What are what kind of service are you getting? Again, you may exactly. think you don't have a tracking device on your car now when when you actually had one the whole time. Well, that's really good information, Chris. Uh, I would love to have you on the show again and talk about some other things because an hour just isn't enough time to talk about everything you have to say. I I feel, yeah, I feel like (laughs) we didn't hardly talk about anything. Yeah, but you gave some great information, some great uh, instructions uh, for folks that are listening. And, uh, you know, we don't just have private investigators. We have people from all over the the world that listen to this. So good information. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, we're we're out of time. So I uh, thank you so much for being on the show. It was fascinating. And to the rest of you listeners, it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for being here. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 